Hello and welcome back to Curiously Polar. This is the show about all things very north and very south. And uh, my name is Chris Marquardt. With me, as usual, is Henry. Good uh, good afternoon. We're recording good afternoon. afternoon. How are you today? I'm wonderful. It's always great to be out to be out here recording with you. So in in there recording in here out here with you wherever. <laughs> You know, you know this is this is the interesting thing about this whole podcasting thing which people might not realize is we're not in the same room even though it might sound like it we're doing this remote and the just the the the, the technology that makes this possible today is so amazing we we live in amazing times when it comes to making I podcasts. actually think that's a question of definition of time and space. Oh. And we will probably I mean mentally we are in the same room that's for sure. Um, and if we see it in a, in a, in a wider picture, we are pretty much on the same planet. That is a given, I think, at this point. We haven't <laughs> conquered Mars just yet. Um, time. Speaking of time, the title of this episode is The Conundrum of Time. See what I did there? Nice segue. Um, nice. <laughs> we, let's, let's stay on the so southern side of this planet, on the southern uh, pole, Antarctica. We talked about it extensively last week about uh yeah the, the 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 superlatives that antarctica has to offer which is i mean this is an amazing place and again you should as we said in last episode you should take a, a map that shows the earth from below not from our equatorial perspective that we usually have on our maps and that will give you a bit of a better idea uh how big that place is it will still not give you a good idea about how amazing it is and how dangerous it is and uh and how worth it is to research there, but um, still, it's episode 77, highly recommended as we now make in our swing towards the south. Um, you brought us another southern topic. Yes, since we are heading down to Antarctica summer, so we are getting closer to summer, actually almost when this episode will be at, it's almost summer solstice down there. We have... The further south we're going, the um, amazing feature of the midnight sun, which that I was, also makes which I was happy to witness in um, in Iceland at one time. So how do you experience the midnight sun up here in Iceland? Uh, no, wait, wait, wrong, <laughs> wrong, because we're not quite in the Arctic just yet in Iceland. Um, it was in Norway, northern Norway. There, there I was. Okay. Okay, never mind the location, but how do you experience the midnight sun? Well, the, how was a, that for you? It's a wonderful experience, and it's a very interesting experience with what it does to your inner clock, because we are very much, um, uh, we live by the light. Well, in the morning, we live by the alarm clock, but at night, we usually uh, get tired and go to sleep by, by the light that we have around us. And, and when you're at a place where the sun doesn't quite set, and up there, it didn't quite set. It went close to the horizon. If you stretch out your, your arm and maybe one finger width above the horizon, the sun uh, stopped there and then went back up again um, at 1 a.m. at that time. And I just remember sitting in a pub with friends there and we were having a good time and having a beer and and kept chatting, talking about stuff and we sat next to a window and of course didn't get dark so we didn't get tired so uh, at one point I look at my watch and it's like 1am <laughs> it's like whoops it's, 
It's an amazing time for photographers because oh, you, you have light 24-7. Not just that. You have a very amazing light because the light... A very low light. With the low sun means you... The photographers, some listeners might not know that, but photographers really love sunrises and sunsets when the sun is low because it makes this warm light that has interesting shadows and directions and... If uh, and in some places like around the equator, that might take five minutes, right? You have a very short time for this time of day, and you have to really make use of it. And the higher north or the further south you are, the longer that takes. And with the midnight sun, you can do this almost around the clock. You have this amazing light, uh, sun sunset or sunrise photography all around the day. That's completely amazing. And if you uh, date that back to um, human history, then we didn't used to have alarm clocks. Um, that's a rather modern um, development. So we used to get up when the sun rises and we used to go back to bed when the sun sets. So now we're heading north and we're heading south. So north of the Arctic Circle and south of the Antarctic Circle. And we are facing similar features, which basically means in the summer on each hemisphere, we have 24 hours of daylight. So the sun doesn't set. So how does that interfere with our biorhythm? Oh, I would expect it to interfere quite a bit because um, I was only there for maybe a week around that time frame and it messed me up i was i was ended i ended up coming back i was still in the same time zone because norway is in the same time zone as germany but i was still severely jet lagged because my inner clock was not working it gets as expected. completely out of rhythm because your your body just gets the information of uh oh wow it's daylight so i have to stay awake um i miss opportunity and you have to force yourself to go to sleep. That's something you, you have to have blackout curtains. You have to have curtains that take that that lock out the sunlight entirely. Indeed, yeah. Because otherwise, you'll be, yeah. You, Your body will just think constantly. Uh, it's time to get up. You sleep lightly, yes. Yeah. Um, so now we're heading down to Antarctica, which is a continent. So in the Arctic, it doesn't really matter because we don't really have. Um, significant landmass uh, apart from Greenland and Svalbard, um, Franz Josef Land. But besides that, the biggest part of the uh, Arctic is an ocean. So in Antarctica, it's different. We have this huge continent, which lies in the entirety of the Antarctic Circle. So basically, still a huge part of Antarctica is uh, further north of the Antarctic Circle. So out of that time zone. And uh, not times and out of that um, um, latitude. Oh, uh, the Antarctic stretches over the boundary. Oh yes, it does quite a lot actually. See basic basic, basic geography, Chris. It's it, I, I get it. A, I get an F. <laughs> <laughs> um, getting down to um, the Antarctic Circle takes some some severe effort. So basically, um, the most. Most of the expedition cruises tracking the Antarctic Peninsula, they are not crossing the Antarctic Circle. Interesting. I was not aware of that. Quite a distance. So it's the much easier to get uh, get north of the Arctic Circle than you tend to get south of the Antarctic Circle. Yes, because we have more landmass uh, reaching further north than the Arctic Circle than we have landmasses that are easy accessible um, north of the Antarctic Circle. Because south of the Antarctic Circle, we have this huge um, continent. But 
we don't really have good access points on Antarctica um, around the Antarctic Circle. So that makes it definitely more difficult than the Arctic Circle, for example. Oh, and here it's right on the map, so <laughs> I feel stupid now. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> that's, why, that's why we are doing this, right? <laughs> oh, I've, I've just got my mind blown. Okay. It is, it's really interesting. I mean, um, I got um, a contract that says crossing the, Arct uh, the Antarctic Circle, and I was just like... Yeah, well, are we doing that with every cruise? And apparently not. we're not doing it with every cruise because most of the landing sites on the Antarctic Peninsula are north of the Antarctic Circle and just very few are crossing the Antarctic Circle because that takes some, some severe effort, some time to go further south. And that's not as, as easy as it sounds, especially now um, the, the Antarctic season just um, opened in, what is it, late October? Um, early November, so the first cruise ships going down there, they're still facing a lot of sea ice, a lot of um, obstacles. It's not that easy to go down all the way to the Antarctic Circle, as it is or used to be in the Arctic Circle. But the ocean currents are a little bit different, so also the obstacles with sea ice are different from north to south. That's also something we could tackle in a different um, episode. However, the reason why I'm talking about that is we are facing a huge big question and that's what the episode is about and that's the question about time how do we measure time in antarctica and does it really matter what do you think i have no idea but don't you kind of need as a human being you kind of need a rhythm you need to be on a clock because otherwise you'll you won't get enough sleep or you won't have enough time to work but here comes the thing There is no one native to Antarctica, so basically no one living in Antarctica. How does that count into human beings need a time? Does everyone bring their own time zone? Basically, yes. Really? Yes. So what we have in Antarctica is a very special thing. So it's really not an issue. There's no one living there, so that means there are no standard time zones. Nobody used standard time zones there. However... Research stations out there, they are spreading across the ice sheet. And in order to keep, keep track of time, the scientists staying inside the stations, they are free to choose their operating time zone. Most of them choose the time zone where they actually live in um, and not where the, where the base is staying. So I would think that makes it easier to communicate with, with back home, right? Indeed. So, for example, um, New Zealand research station, uh, Scott Station, has just the New Zealand time zone. Uh -huh. um, while McMurder, the US station, has, oh, no, um, I think they have uh, Pacific Standard <laughs> they, Time. They have four to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, the, they, they are actually free to um, use different time zones. That makes it quite tricky for us as expedition crews. Uh, ships to make appointments if we're visiting those stations of because wow. we have to consider their time zones. Most of the of the cruise ships, they just make it easy. They just stay on the time zone of Ushuaia. Unless they're traveling to Falkland and South Georgia, because then we are just adjusting to local times there and then changing back as we travel south. Oh, wow. So that's that's kind of making it easier um, on location in the Falklands and in uh, South Georgia. But technically, the ship time will be, unless we're traveling to Falkland and South Georgia, always Ushuaia time. 
So is there like an official website document app that tells you what's, what scientific team is in what time zone so you can kind of coordinate? No, I think there's a list of research stations and um, then it's just communicating with the research stations to find out what uh, kind of... So if you, um, if you don't know and you call them, you could basically be calling them in the middle of the night in air quotes and wake them up. Yeah, so, so um, <laughs> basically they wouldn't probably answer the phone then. What's your time right now? <laughs> this, this, could, this could lead to a lot of very, very um, comical interactions. Indeed, but I also think that the the expedition leaders um, coming there um, over and over again, they would just know about that. So, by by, by the way, I just um, learned that the McMurdo station actually has the uh, daylight saving time actually during summer. So they are adjusting between summer and winter time because McMurdo lies so far south that they have. Um, as one of the very few stations 24-7 daylight during summertime. So they adjust their, their time and have a UTC plus 13, which is um, as uh, the daylight saving time uh, as it is in New Zealand and in the Fijis and in, in, in Samoa, while they have their regular time um, according to um, parts in the United States. Very wild. It's very wild, definitely. Yeah. So, so I, I would, I would think that could, um, that could have a negative impact on collaboration, on research collaboration out down there. Actually, it doesn't. It makes it. Um, They're all kind of adjusted to to dealing in that way. Then, no, um, it, it doesn't really doesn't really matter. I mean, um, you're very rarely. Um, executing research at the exact same moment so you still have communication like we have it in in the rest of the world as well so if we have um nine o'clock in in central europe it might be three o'clock in in the east coast of the us so communicating from here to there you have different time zones to consider as well so i think that doesn't make it more complicated or less hmm it's just something you have to consider um that the the research station not necessarily uses the time zone of the area they're in, but um, yeah. of the country the <laughs> scientists are from to make the communication with back home easier. I, I guess, I guess, knowing all that, I mean, we are as humans, we are <coughs> we are a highly adaptable species. So I think that is something that yeah we can adapt to as well. Wow, very as interesting it, background here. As a fun fact, if you go to the South Pole, as the same as you uh, could do at the North Pole, but the North Pole is more difficult because the ice is uh, drifting. But on the South Pole, you could just running in a circle around the South Pole and traveling backwards and, and touch, forwards in oh, time. Touch all the time zones in one in one little circle. You get younger if you run in the right direction. It's not impressive. It's a time machine. There we go. Yes. There That's how time travel works. Okay, so with that in mind, let's let's leave everyone. <laughs> and thank you so much for being here, being subscribed. By the way, um, Curiously Polar is a podcast. You do know that, but um, if you're listening to this on the website, uh, try finding this in your webs in your in your podcast client because being subscribed is the right way to get every episode uh, just automatically in your sleep. And then in the morning, boom, it's there and you can listen to it. So um, we come with, with new stuff every week. This is episode 78. So there's 77 other episodes. You can find them 
wherever you find your other podcasts. You can find everything, including all the show notes, on curiouslypolar.com. That's our website. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter at CuriouslyPolar. And, yeah, uh, hit us up. Let us know if you have anything that you think we should be talking about here. Um, something that we haven't covered or something that you want us to cover again because there might be new information out there. Okay, that's it for this week. Until next week, everyone, take care.